Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about inoculants, especially soybean inoculants. If you've got any questions for us or if there's anything you'd like to talk about that's happening on your farm right now, our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. Or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. All right, so with soybean inoculants, we'll spend more time on that here a little bit later in the show. I'll just give you a couple of quick things to be thinking about for that. Uh, First of all, what we mean by a soybean inoculant is we're not talking all the different biological or natural products. We're really focused on rhizobia bacteria that can take nitrogen out of the air and turn it into a form that the plant can use. It's extremely beneficial, and there are other crops, especially these legume, a lot of legume crops, that can do the same type of thing. It's just that the bacteria is specific to soybeans that we're talking about here today, rhizobia. But it's the same concept for a lot of the other plants that are able to, as many people will say, produce their own nitrogen. Well, they do it symbiotically with these bacteria. So basically the plant kicks out sugar into the soil. The bacteria feed on that. The bacteria are so happy and thankful that they take this nitrogen, turn it into a form the plant can use, kick that into the plant. Then the plant's so happy, it kicks more sugar out and it just works back and forth that way. And it's amazing stuff. So you have all these billions of microbes working for your plants down in the soil. So we'll talk about different soybean inoculants and how you make them work a little bit better or where you really need them and where they pay the best. We'll do all that on today's show, but right now we're going to get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag! All right, this is from Chris in the northwest corner of Minnesota. Said, I've got very heavy clay soils with rather high soil pH, but I have a question for you about your three pre's and soybeans. I was listening to your show yesterday, and I'm wondering if I apply a pre, say fierce MTZ or Valor, work it in lightly with the Harrow Packer, and then plant my soybeans, will that hurt my beans? Or if not, no. how come it doesn't hurt my beans like if I apply the chemical after the beans emerged out of the ground? Okay. Uh, yep, great question. It's just the foliage has a lot of sensitivity to PPOs and to metribuzin. And by PPOs in there, well, really in this case, both Fierce MTZ and Valor have the same PPO. It's the Valor component. Fierce MTZ is Zidua, Valor, and Metribuzin. So anyway, it's that foliar sensitivity. That's what causes the real problem. So yes, you can work it in the ground. You could lay it on the soil surface and have it rained in. I I was talking to some agronomists this morning, and I just said, hey, don't forget in a dry year, we have no rain in the forecast for the next two weeks. The herbicide's not going to work without rain or incorporation. So if you want to incorporate, I encourage that in a dry year in our region of the country because our odds for rain are not good even in a normal year, and they're especially worse this year. Plus, our soil is really dry. So anyway, I, I like seeing incorporation. But no, it just, it. I, I mean, I'm not going to say that there's zero risk 
of hurting the crop. But there's almost zero risk of hurting the crop when you incorporate it down into the ground. Yeah, you've just spread it out. Now, instead of having that concentrated product all on the soil surface where a raindrop can hit it, splash soil, and that herbicide up onto the leaves, you've got most of it underneath the ground. Sure, there's probably still a little bit of it on the soil surface, but most of it's safely under the soil where a raindrop isn't going to splash Yeah, so what we're saying is foliar, yeah, you're going to kill the beans. Laid on the soil surface, there is more risk for crop injury than there is when you incorporate it because, to Darren's point, you've now spread it out in the soil. All right, thanks for that question. Got this one from Glenn. And I will hand that over to you, Brian. Uh, over in Georgia, he said, I've been building my copper levels up over the last few years. Wondering, am I at the point I should stop, or would you recommend we keep going? If you look in the upper right-hand corner, there's the uh, max-min average. You yep. can kind of get an idea yep. there, Brian. Okay, so this is pounds per acre. He's got two to three pounds per acre. That's where he's at. Well, if I think about two to three pounds per acre, that equates to... 1 to 1.5 parts per million. Is that too high? No. Usually we're talking about we like to see 2 parts per million, maybe even 3 on copper. So I I see no reason why I would want to stop at this point. However, you have to keep in mind the phosphorus to copper ratio. Copper has interaction with a whole bunch of other nutrients, including phosphorus. So for his phosphorus levels, he's 85 to 118 pounds per acre, which is also low. Now, I'm not going to say it's super low or anything like that, because there are going to be some agronomists who will say, oh, you got 100, 110, whatever, on average, part or pounds per acre. That's pretty good. Well, it depends on what your yield goal is. So for my yield goal, that's not good enough. For your yield goal, I don't know. Uh, let's see. I don't think this says where, where where you farm or anything else. I know nothing about th- this ground or where it is or anything else. But, you know, for let's say 170 bushel corn, sure, it's fine. For 50 bushel beans, sure, 110 pounds of phosphorus is fine. But it's not for the yield levels that I'm trying to get to, at least this year on our farm. So I'm just saying right now your phosphorus to copper ratio is pretty good. We usually look at around 30 to 1, maybe 40 to 1, something like that. You're you're fine now. Don't bump your copper up too far unless you also raise your phosphorus a little bit more than where it's at today. Oh, one other thing I'll mention real quick. The number one thing that I saw on this soil test that I didn't like, potassium's way too low. Uh, it, it's really, 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 really low. Leaching 50 out. pounds. I wonder if it's leaching out, Brian, on to those 80 pounds. Light, light soils. Like you can see that samples sure. from a, a circle pivot. Yes. Uh, four to five cation exchange capacity. So really light soil and potassium doesn't hold very well in soil. Phosphorus and copper, on the other hand, do. So you can actually build phosphorus and copper and not worry to worry about losing them. Potassium, with that light soil, you're going to have to put it on at least twice per year and maybe even more. But all I know is potassium at this point is your number one yield limiting factor on your farm, other than, yeah, your pH is a little bit low as well. Stay tuned. We're going to talk inoculants right after this. Downtime during spraying can lead to huge yield losses. Keep rolling with the Pentair Hypro Force Field. This pump features a unique self-regulated chamber that allows the pump to run dry while eliminating cracked seals, so you can spray longer and more reliably. Learn more at pentair.com hypro. 
Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. This is Quick Dick McDick from Tufnell asking you, have you heard of Mandaco Land Rollers? They're the ones with the green paint, and I'm not talking about the green paint that requires a technician and a laptop to fix. I'm talking about the Mandaco green paint that doesn't need fixing because it's built tough. We're talking 5 8 thick, 42-inch diameter drums, people, and I've learned never to talk about size unless you can back it up when a measuring tape gets pulled out. So keep your seed and rocks in the ground where they belong and get yourself a roller at mandaco.com. No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cashback rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards, and that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit MyBayerPlus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We're live in the Morton studio and today we are talking about soybean inoculants. If you've got any questions about that or anything else that's going on in your farm, we'd love to talk to you. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. So we're going to go to the phone lines right away. we got our good friend Matt Miles calling in from down in the state of Arkansas. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm good. Uh, sounds like we got a little bit of a tough connection with you. Um, hey, we were, we're talking a little about soybean inoculants today, and I realize you raise a lot of crops down there. But just tell us about your experience with soybean inoculants, if, if, you, if you've got a little bit of time for us today. Okay, can you hear me okay? Yes, now we can hear you. Okay, I'll just tell you, I've kind of got a, a special crew with me today. I'm actually in Cedarville, Ohio. Wow. Um, I'm at Corey Alley's place with Advanced Yield. Rob and I come up here to uh, kind of check some things out. So I've I've actually got some smarter people on inoculants here on the phone with me today than uh, than I am. But uh, we do use them. Um, you know, we don't necessarily. It's not mandatory for us. We definitely use them if we're taking a piece of property that hasn't been, uh, you know, farmed in soybeans in several years. But most of our rotations are our corn and soybeans, and then, you know, we'll throw cotton in the mix on some of that every now and then. So we kind of pay attention to our rotation. But, you know, the more we've done it, even soybeans behind soybeans, we've seen that, you know, if nothing else, it at least pays for itself. Yeah, that's one of the big things that we talk to a lot of people about, that, hey, inoculants really, really inexpensive. It doesn't take much, especially today when we're looking at $12 new crop beans, and I don't know what the market's like down in Arkansas, but I know for me here in South Dakota, $12 beans doesn't happen every year, so I'm more than happy to have that, and I'm trying to get every extra bushel I possibly can. So you mentioned you definitely use it 
use inoculant where you haven't had soybeans in several years. Do you have any kind of yield information for us? What do you usually see out of that inoculant, like in those situations? Well, in the situations where we haven't had beans in several years, I mean, it can be, I've seen it when I first started farming, you know, uh, we were pretty much cotton farmers. And when the market went up on the soybeans, we started growing soybeans. Well, the first year I put them out there, you know, they just wouldn't grow and turn yellow and I had the, uh, some of the reps come out there, and they said, well, you don't have any nodules. I said, well, I don't have any nodules. They said, well, you didn't inoculate your seed. <laughs> I had no idea. At that point, I was a kid. And yep. I think it was 250 or 300 pounds of, of uh, nitrogen lighter, sure. of urea. Yep. You know, we found that, that we needed that. So it was probably a nice year. Yeah. Yeah, what we used to do, Matt, and so our, our dad originally came from Iowa back in 1969, actually. And when he came out to South Dakota here, most of the ground had not had soybeans before. And so he did a whole bunch of experimentation with it because in his geography, they'd raised soybeans for a really long time. And what he found is the inoculant was really important. But in that very first year of ever raising soybeans, he found two, I mean, not to the degree that you said with nitrogen, but he found 100 pounds pounds was typically what paid well for him. He said a lot of times I'd go out with 100 pounds and that was 10 bushels plus the inoculant was even more. So yeah, I mean, you got to do some extra things when you never raised beans in that field before. So uh, hey, Matt, as long as I've got you on the phone, I, I was just curious, uh, what are things looking like down in Arkansas right now in terms of getting acres in the ground? And do you have any thoughts for us on in your area, are any acres going to change? from one crop to the next because of the way the commodity prices are? Well, I think I, I would assume less rice and cotton than we will than we have been in the past because corn and bean prices where they're at now. Uh, we've had a really, really good start as far as getting our crop in. Most of the corn is in in our area. I would say probably 70% of the corn's probably been planted. It's going to kind of get real close now with the rains we've had in the last couple of weeks of whether people have changed over to soybeans, you know, simply because of calendar date and the price of soybeans being good. So, uh, but we're pretty much, I think, going to stay on track because, uh, you know, we're, we've got some really good opportunities being early to capture some of the higher basis. Hey, Matt, you, uh, your phone line was cutting out. I, I didn't hear what you said about cotton and rice. Are those acres up, down, or flat from the year before in your geography? I, I'm going to say that they're going to be down some cotton and rice due to the, the corn and bean prices that we're having now. Yeah, yep, yep. That's kind of what I figured. Yeah, I, I look at the commodity price every day, and I, some days I, I just can't believe it. It's, uh, it. it's a nice change from what we've had the last several years, especially last year at about this time when every day I would look and the market's going down. So anyway, uh, hopefully more positive things like that continue. Hey, Matt, uh, thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck to you as you continue on with your harvest and have fun there in Ohio. Well, yes, sir. Thank you very much. You bet. Yeah, when we start talking about these soybean inoculants, I, I haven't gotten to this point yet, but I, I would say we have seen a big difference 
from even 10 years ago versus what we have today. And this is one of the things, too, as I've gotten the opportunity to talk to some of these researchers on different inoculants. And I just remember as a few years ago, and one of the people I was talking to, I don't remember who it was now, they just made this comment. They said, you know, it wasn't that long ago when we couldn't even identify the strain of inoculant that we really had. We couldn't tell for sure if a certain bacteria in there was great at producing nitrogen for the plant, okay, or not very good. We just knew they were all rhizobia bacteria. But they said now we can identify the good ones from the bad ones. We're sorting all this stuff out, and we just have a lot more effective products, and we've really seen that. So I, we're we're big believers in, hey, every time you plant soybeans, put some inoculant there. It costs like a dollar an acre, maybe a buck fifty. It's so inexpensive. It only takes a few nodules extra and you have paid for that inoculant. And then the other thing, when Darren and I were down in Brazil, this is clear back in 2007, even way back then when we didn't have as good of inoculants as we do today, the Brazilian farmers we were talking to said they were using inoculant even when at the time there were still some of them doing two crops of beans per year. Now, for the most part, a lot of the guys were switching away from that. They were only going to raise one crop of beans per year, in part because of Asian soybean rust. But anyway, they just said, hey, even when we were inoculating beans twice uh, you know, per, per year, so every time they'd put it out there, they said even if we didn't get much of a yield gain, we always found that we had nitrogen left at the end of the season, which then helped the next crop, whatever that next crop would be, whether it's soybeans or corn or anything else. So I'd never heard that before that, you know what, you have more nitrogen after the soybeans when those soybeans were inoculated. So I've always thought about that since. And with what nitrogen costs, I just think, boy, it only takes a few extra pounds of nitrogen to justify that inoculant. So what we really encourage you to do always with, I mean, literally everything we talk about here is you don't you don't have to believe a single word we tell you on the show or any of our callers or anything else. What we try to do is give you ideas for things. And what we want you to do and encourage you to do is try some things out on your farm. There's nobody that's smarter about your farm than you. And the only way that you're ever going to actually believe something works or doesn't work is if you try it out on your farm. But I just encourage you, give it a fair shake, because think about this for just one second. If soybeans are worth $12, and even let's say you, you paid for an expensive inoculant at $2, that means that one-sixth of a bushel will break even. One-third of a bushel would double your money. So any investment that doubles my money, I'm super interested in that. Okay, Or it might even triple or quadruple your money, even if it... Uh, did all that, even if it was six times your money, that's $12. That's one bushel of beans. Is your yield monitor going to show a one bushel difference? No. Um, are you going to notice that visually in the field? No. Um, how are you going to measure that then if you don't see it on that yield monitor? What we always encourage people to do on these little things, you know, and again, Percentage-wise, it's big, but it's a small yield gain. So if you've got anything that you're testing on your farm, I'd encourage you weigh it out, number one. Or if you want, one of the things that we will often do is we'll reset our yield monitor every round. And, you know, we're setting back to zero and making sure we've got the tank empty and all this kind of stuff. So we're doing everything we can to hopefully get a good measurement there to find out, did what we do pay or did it not? 
We'll keep talking soybean inoculants and get to more of your questions right after this. If you're looking to get the most out of your foliar nutrition and fungicide programs, ask your ag retailer about Nutex EDA from Sipcam Agro. Nutex EDA has been proven to increase foliar micronutrient tissue levels and maintain those levels for an extended period of time. When tank mixed with fungicides, Nutex EDA helps support plant health, resulting in higher quality and yields. Nutex EDA is an affordable and effective solution that should be part of every grower's high-yield toolbox. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's the secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. High-yield growers know that bringing in big bushels means establishing excellent emergence. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. The Germinator Spike design excels in variable soils and eliminates sidewall compaction. But what makes the Germinator unique is its inner rim shoulder firmer, which encases the seed with soil, maximizing seed-to-soil contact. It's not just any closing wheel. Reach your yield potential at farmshopmfg.com. You work for results. That's why the Enlist weed control system gives you flexible tank mixing, near zero volatility, a wide application window, and proven weed control. Because the Enlist system was built for your results. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Whether or not, relentless control is what you get with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Protect your season from tough broadleaf weeds and grasses with dual modes of action and overlapping residuals that also minimize resistance. With an easy-to-tank mix formulation and wide application window, Anthem Max Herbicide is ready when you are. Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. Thanks for listening today to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty along with my brother Darren. We're broadcasting today from the Morton studio and we are talking soybean inoculants. We are very pleased to be joined by our good friend and outstanding farmer down in the state of Missouri. It's Kip Cullors. Kip, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you guys getting along today? Excellent. Excellent. So we're talking soybean inoculants, and I got a couple other questions outside of inoculants, uh, if you got time today. But um, with soybean inoculants, how do you apply those or have those applied on your farm for your soybeans? So we get all ours treated at the dealer, yep. and we can't do it ourselves, but it's a lot easier to just have them do it 
and uh, we do every acre under even if we got soybeans on soybeans i mean that's just one of them no-brainers that don't cost anything to do it and i always figure we pick up two or three bushels and it's what a dollar or two an acre right so let me ask you this after those beans get treated, how long until you get them in the ground? Or is there a certain window that you're looking for or anything? Because that gets to be a concern for some people is the inoculant will only last so long in that seed before it starts dying. Okay, so years ago when we started doing this, you know, they had a 90 days extender. And basically yep. all that is is sugar, and it's a yep. food source for the, the bacteria. Right. And, uh, you know, we... We try to plant them way, way, way quicker than that. But, you know, we like to have ours planted and treated and planted in the ground within a week or two uh, just because you know it's good. But, you know, there's that 90-day extender, and I think that's just fine. Yeah, that was one of the things that we hadn't had a chance to talk about yet today. It's a big change from years ago. They figured out more and better food sources for these bacteria to keep them alive. So it is one of the things that we always encourage people to ask about. Okay, so in terms of putting this inoculant out there, how many years now have you been doing that on all your acres, like you mentioned? Uh, probably 20 because, uh, you know, yep. I go to South America, and, I mean, it's just one of them no-brainers. I mean, it is the easiest thing everybody can do. If you have your dealer do it, it don't even cost you any. There's no extra work involved. Right. So, I mean, it's just it's just a no-brainer. You mentioned South America. Talk to us about inoculant use down in South America, at least whatever whatever you can tell us from that. Right. So every acre down there is, tra- is inoculated. And uh, there's there's guys down there, like in Paraguay especially, they don't really raise safrina corn, double crop corn. They raise two crops of soybeans every year, and they inoculate both crops, you know, in the same year. So, I mean, it's it's just it 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 causes the beans to come up quicker. And I tell you, if you'll dig in them soybeans when they're little, we've we've actually had our soybeans with nodules at the second and third trifolia. Second and third. Yeah, we actually do see that, too. Of course, we also inoculate everything every year. But, yeah, that's a that's a real big key is getting them inoculated, inoculated so they can start producing those nodules early. Because, I mean, for a lot of people, they say, well, the bean plant doesn't need much nitrogen until it gets to flowering and potting. And that's that's mostly true. But it still does need some nitrogen early on in the season. Uh, any other comments you got for us on, on inoculants today, Kip? Yeah. Yeah, so years ago, uh, I had a, a professor tell me that if you apply nitrogen in soybeans, they won't nodulate. Yep. So I thought, I don't think that's true. <laughs> yep. So I ran a little experiment, <laughs> and we just took an acre, and we went and applied 1,000 pounds actual nitrogen acre. Now, this is just an experiment. Sure. Perfect nodulation. We inoculated the beans. They nodulated just like normal, and that was with 1,000 pounds actual nitrogen. Yeah, it's funny that you bring that up because we do get that question fairly often and guys get awfully concerned about, well, I'm going to put a little nitrogen out there, but I hear that it's going to make my nodules or my bacteria lazy. 
<laughs> I go, well, look, your plant isn't going to kick out as much sugar potentially because it's got a bunch of nitrogen, sure. But most of these farmers that are talking talking to me about it, they say 50 pounds of nitrogen. And I'm going, 50? I put on two or 300. And you put on 1,000. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about any of these lower amounts. And even, yeah, to your point on 1,000, you still were seeing good nodulation out there. So, no, uh, that that's exactly what we've seen. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, so we've talked about inoculant a little bit. I'm just curious, how's planting going down in your geography right now? Well, we're done planting corn. Matter of fact, I was in the corn this morning, and, and the very last field we planted, it's all up. Um, it's awful cool. We were supposed to plant green beans yesterday, start, and uh, boy, the weather forecast is just horrid. We're not that we're wet. We're we're in really good shape by, as far as moisture goes. We're dry, but it is so cool. Like right now, it's fifty-five degrees, and and I think the next four nights we're supposed to be down in the upper thirties. And you don't want green beans laying around for ten, fourteen days trying to come out of the ground. Uh, and we do several things. You can't you you can't not inoculant don't do any good on green beans. So we do two or three other things. We'll run uh, uh, gibberic acid and IBA, and then we'll run some BioCore, uh, which we put as a seed treatment on the BioCore. And then the uh, GA3 and the, the uh, IBA, we run through a fertilizer tank. We don't run any fertilizer down the row. We just run that with water and sugar. And uh, to get the beans up a lot quicker, we've actually been able to cut about five days off of our emergence by doing that. Yeah, I which was, is huge. Oh yeah, on green beans. Yep. Well, really, it's huge for a lot of these different crops, and I'm I, I, I I'm happy that you mentioned doing some extra things when it's a little bit cooler out because this is another thing I was just. Uh, working on some training with agronomists this morning and I said hey uh, it's really cold like our soil temps today or this morning were 39 degrees guess what we're doing today we're planting corn I don't care we're putting the stuff in the ground because the problem is here by the time we get to 60 degree soil temp it's June so we we unfortunately yeah. just we're, we have to deal with this but what we've learned is you do a few extra things so we use a lot of biologicals and stuff like that but I, I mean you absolutely can get faster emergence if you try extra things. But if you don't want to try the extra things like you were talking about, uh, hey, green beans don't like it cold, so we're going to have to just wait and let the weather warm up a little bit. And I, 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 I will say, Kip, I don't feel super sorry for you that it's 55 degrees right now where you're at. It's like 40 here and windy and uh, not super fun. So anyway, it's just it's the stuff we deal with in the northern United States. Yeah. And, you know, I'd rather plant corn in cool soil temperatures if it's good and dry as i would in warm wet soil any day of the week yes because it eventually yeah. warm up and 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 i've never had seed rot in the ground when it's cool but now i've if you planted in warm wet conditions and something happens it crusts a little bit i mean that stuff will sure rot on you in a short amount of time yeah the crusting and the other big issue that we have a lot of times up here is that sidewall smearing and we go out with guys and they go boy my corn just doesn't look very good and it's getting tall and everything and you go look at their furrow and you can still find their furrow very well and it's hard on the sides and the roots grew right in between that and uh, yeah it didn't exactly form a very nice base so yeah that that we don't get a lot of rainfall nor 
normally, but we're so darn cold, it doesn't take much. We do create a lot of compaction issues or sidewall smearing or anything like that. So yeah, I'm with you. I'd rather have it just at least a little bit on the drier side. So anything else you can tell us? Anything new and different, Kip? we got about a minute left here. No, just be nice. We'd warm up and kind of get some sort of normalization on these springs. We either wet spring or these cool springs. I thought we was going to be in pretty good shape. Uh, uh, we actually didn't start planting corn until I think the 25th or 6th of March. And uh, it was nice and warm. I had a couple of 80 yep. degree days and this corn went to germinating and sprouting coming right up. And, um, you know, actually as far as the moisture goes, it was about as perfect as we've been in a long time. But it's now we've turned off cool here and our 10 day forecast is staying cool for the next 10 days. Yeah, we hit 88 degrees about 10 days ago. We had a nice stretch of four days where it was super warm. I felt like I was in Missouri, Kip. And uh, yeah, then we're back to realistic, normal temperatures here, and I don't like it too much. Well, anyway, we've been talking to Kip Cullors. Uh, He farms down in Missouri. Kip, thanks a lot for the time. As always, we really appreciate it. Thank you. You bet. All right, so we've been talking about soybean inoculants today. If you've got any questions about that, you can certainly give us a call here or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. But right after this break, we're going to get back to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Morton Buildings knows that great buildings need great people, and we want you to be the newest member of our team. Morton is expanding its construction crew, and we're seeking new and experienced candidates to fill our crew member positions. Morton provides great pay and training, so be a part of the next generation to build Morton. Don't let the opportunity to join the best construction crew in the business pass you by. Learn more on our careers page at mortonbuildings.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farm your way. AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition. That means being committed to product performance, to research and field testing, and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Protect your empire. Rule your fields with dual modes of action. Low-use rate Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC combines Group 14 and Group 15 modes of action for pre-plant and pre-emergence control of key broadleaf weeds and grasses. A preventative application keeps your fields clean when it matters most to crop productivity. 
Visit your FMC retailer or ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label directions. You're looking for soybeans that give you the yield you want. But when it comes to fighting your toughest weeds, you also need flexibility. Introducing Extend Flex Soybeans. Elite Genetics with triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate. The yield you want, the choice you need. Learn more at extendflexsoy.com. Always read and follow IRM where applicable, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're going to dive back into the Ag PhD mailbag time here in the Morton studio. We got one in from Brad just a few minutes ago here. He said, I wanted to use a pint and a half of Treflan as part of my three pre-programmed soybeans. Uh, you've been telling me there is a potential issue with injury at a certain rate with Treflan and in certain conditions. Just curious about what that rate would be, where I should be concerned if there's ever going to be any damage. And also, I'm certainly open to using Prowl if that is a better, safer option. No, there is no safer yellow than trifluralin, but Prowl and Sonlan are similarly safe. So I wouldn't get that worried about it. The full rate of trifluralin, by the way, is two pints per acre for soybeans. So you can go up to two safely. Why we talk about reducing down to a pint and a half has nothing to do with crop injury at all. It has everything to do with carryover. And if you are in the southern United States with lots of heat, I'm not worried about two pints carrying over to next year anyway. But in the northern United States where we don't have a lot of rain and we're cold, then we do worry about it. So that's why we just say a pint and a half. So, nope, I wouldn't get worried about the soybean injury. In fact, I would say the yellows are safer than the group 15s even that a lot of people are using and talking about right now for soybeans. Uh, when we're talking pre-emerge, or in this case, pre-plant incorporated with trifluralin, I, I do like the yellows a little bit better than the group 15s for crop safety. I like the yellows a little bit better for grass control, for small seeded broadleaf control. Um, they're really, really good products. And the other nice thing with the yellows is you aren't using them in corn. So if you're in a corn soybean rotation, it makes a nice rotational herbicide as well. Oh, <laughs> I'll throw in one last thing. Plus the fact I love trifluralin because it's inexpensive. Four bucks an acre for a pint and a half. That's fantastic when it does such a great job for weed control. Yep, it sure is fantastic for the price, no doubt about that. Uh, all right, we've got one from Kent in northwest Iowa talking about using streamer nozzles with his preherbicide. said, I'm considering using a seven-stream nozzle on 20-inch spacings this year on my high-rate UAN that we put down pre-plant with the pre-merge herbicide. The reason is we have a front-mount boom sprayer, and it seems like there's so much nitrogen that comes back on the sprayer with broadcast nozzles I'm hoping that the streamers will help with that. I'm just hoping also my pre would still work as good if it's getting laid out in streams rather than through a broadcast nozzle. Now, we would definitely incorporate after application, and in my mind, that's no different than impregnating urea. But if I'm missing something, let me know. Uh, no, I would not want to do that. There's no way I would put my herbicide out that way. It's going to be too concentrated in spots and not concentrated enough in the other spots. Even with 
a little incorporation, because I'm assuming you're talking one pass across with incorporation, sure, that'll stir it a little bit, but it's not going to stir it well. You also mentioned impregnating urea. That's another thing I don't like. But even impregnating urea would be better than doing this and streaming it because you will get more of that herbicide spread around. Still not good. I mean, you're not going to be super happy by doing it this way. So to put on the nitrogen that way, I'm not that concerned. Nitrogen is pretty mobile in the soil. You don't need it all immediately. So that's not as big a deal to me. If you really want to stream your nitrogen, I'm fine with that if you have to do it that way. But I, I would never advise you to do that with the herbicide. All right, thanks for the question. I got this from Andrew. He said, I'm planting G90 sweet corn. Just wondering if there are any herbicides I could use and which you may recommend. Well, a lot of the regular corn herbicides are labeled for sweet corn, but you have to be at least a little bit careful. So, for example, I we prefer impact as an HPPD post-emerge, and we've, we feel that's just a little bit safer to the sweet corn than Callisto would be, okay? So something for you to think about. You can use atrazine in both sweet corn and conventional corn. If it's Roundup Ready conventional corn, or Roundup Ready sweet corn, which uh, yours it doesn't sound like is, then you would be able to use Roundup. So what you got to think about is grass control. That's the number one weed that has always hurt corn yield, and it's the number one weed that glyphosate, Roundup, still controls very easily. So when you don't have Roundup as an option post-emerge, you got to think about, you know what, sweet corn doesn't give me good crop canopy, so I need a really good herbicide that's going to give me lots of residual as I go later in the season. Usually we're talking outlook, okay? You could go verdict that's got sharpen in there as well if that's labeled for, for your state and everything, uh, but that's outlook and sharpen. But otherwise, even just going straight outlook, that should work fairly well. You also could follow post-emerge with another group 15. Again, you'd have to check the labels and everything, but I mean, those are usually the herbicides that we're talking about. So group 15 pre, possible group 15 early post. Uh, you're, you want to use an HPPD like impact post-emerge along with at least a little bit of atrazine. Those are generally all pretty safe for the sweet corn and they're pretty effective at weed control. All right. Thanks for the question, Andrew. Really appreciate that. Good luck with the sweet corn. And, you know, if you want to send some of that this way, that'd be that'd be okay too. Sweet corn's tasty. I uh, get this one from Dustin. He said, you guys were talking about lawn herbicides a couple of shows ago, and I think you suggested Freelex or products with the active ingredient in Callisto Mesotrione. I was wondering if it would be okay for me to spray Enlist One on my yard. I've got a jug left over of Enlist One. I'm just wondering if there's anything else in Enlist One that would actually harm my yard. Maybe no. it's not labeled, right. but I'm just kind of curious. And also, I was wondering if uh, uh, you would recommend a certain rate of a Freelex or a 2,4-D choline type product. Okay. First oh, of all, one first of, the of biggest... all, first of all, Dustin, you're Go asking ahead. Brian for a recommendation for a rate on 2,4-D on yards. I'm going to say this, and I'll just be upfront. 
Brian recommends a really high rate because that's what he actually uses on his own yard. Not that he wants to see people use a higher rate for any other reason. He just wants to make sure he doesn't have to do it again. Now, some people want to put just a real light rate. They don't ever want to see their grass look yellow or brown or anything like that. No, that's not Brian. In fact, he'd prefer to singe the grass a little bit so he doesn't have to mow it quite as often. So I just wanted to preface that before we start this conversation here about what rate you might use of a 240. Okay, well, that's slightly misleading. I I don't mind having that grass turn just a little bit brown because that tells me that I got the correct rate on there. It's hard when you're using a backpack sprayer and a hand wand and waving that back and forth to know, well, did I put on two quarts to the acre? Did I put on two and a half? Did I put on one? What did I put on? I don't know exactly. It's really hard to tell. So what I always found, and this goes back to years ago spraying the yard, I just found that unless I turn that grass just a tiny little bit brown, then I have not gotten to the full rate. If I have not gotten to the full rate, then I don't kill all the weeds that I'm really after. So it's not about stunting the grass. I couldn't care less about that because I don't mow the lawn anymore anyway. What I do care about is that the weeds are dead, so stuff looks good out there. So in terms of rate with Freelix, I would go with the highest labeled rate. Just follow the label and you're good. In terms of Enlist 1, can you spray that out there? Well, it's not labeled, but would it hurt anything? No. And this is one of my biggest frustrations as an agronomist and as a farmer. When there's something that I know darn well would work just fine, never cause any problem, it'd be perfect for my situation. For example, in List 1, we use it on our farm. I'm probably going to end up with a few gallons left over from our spraying. I could go out, put it in my lawn, but it's not labeled. It's like, come on, guys. Come on, chemical companies. Label the stuff for all the things that I could possibly use it for and help me out a little bit. But at this point, Corteva has not labeled it that way. So if you want to give Corteva a hard time, and if enough people complain about it, then they probably will put it on the label. So even though Freelex and Enlist One have the exact same active ingredient, the only real difference is Enlist One's got an extra little drift retardant in there. Uh, they call it Colex D technology, if I remember right. Uh, they're, they're really the same basic thing, though. Freelex is labeled for your yard. The Enlist One is not. All right, well, we're going to get to more of your questions right after this in the Ag PhD mailbag. When it comes to competitive herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. They've been bringing growers trusted brands like Weedmaster, Patriot, and Diablo for decades, made right here in the USA. What's your favorite New Farm brand? Email it to turnuptheburn at newfarm.com and you'll be entered to win a monthly $1,000 product giveaway. In these unprecedented times, you're facing unprecedented pressure. New Farm's here to help. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. 
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim. I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. It, one question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Are you worried about nitrogen loss this spring? Well, we asked retailers what they thought about Instinct Next-Gen Nitrogen Stabilizer from Corteva AgriScience. What they said was so inspiring, we got an actor to reenact it. <clears throat> it's a great return on investment. A great return. Investment, investment, great return. All right, I think I'm ready to record. It's that simple. Instinct Next-Gen is a great return on investment because it protects your nitrogen. Learn more at protectnitrogen.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time where we take your calls and agronomic questions here in the Morton studio. You can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD or send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Got this one from McKay who said, In my soil, I've got a lot of small white stones that can be crushed by stepping on them or even by hands. My drainage is pretty good. Uh, because I'm on a slope, but it looks like it's going to cost me a lot to fix my soil pH out here with all these small white little limestones. <laughs> uh, yeah, we have a bunch of that in our ground as well. What you're in is the subsoil. So to turn subsoil into topsoil, you can do it. it and and how do you know ahead. you're into how do you know you're into subsoil, Brian? Well. That, that nice little slope has been working for you with drainage, but your drainage <laughs> has been washing something else off as well, yeah. unfortunately. Yep. So anyway, yeah, we've had to deal with that exact same thing. The number one thing that we want to tell you is don't panic. Don't worry that, hey, my pH is high. When you can determine the reason why it's high is because of that limestone there. What we want you to do is take a look at your soil test and then get all the other nutrients in balance. And once you do... Over time, that pH is going to start coming down for you. It'll be great. So uh, I would just say, though, what we have typically found in our subsoil, our ground that's got all this limestone as well, it's very low in, in potassium. It's pretty darn low in phosphorus. It's really low in sulfur. It probably needs some copper. It most likely needs a little bit of manganese. And you know what? you got to get some boron out there 
as well. So I'm just trying to say there are a lot of these nutrients that most likely are short. Once you get those there, what you're going to find is you're going to get a lot more root growth because you're really well feeding the plant. When you feed the plant well and you have this more root growth, you know what the plant does? Number one, it uses more calcium, so that's great. That's the limestone that you got there. Number two, it kicks organic acids into the ground more. Well, that lowers the pH more. So in time, this all starts to correct itself. And by the way, if you want to build some topsoil faster, reduce your tillage, start planting crops with lots of roots like corn instead of soybeans. For example, corn has roughly five times the root mass of soybeans. Use some manure or compost. Um, use some cover crops if you can, and then some biological products. So do those things and you can speed the process up as well. But the number one thing is, Make sure you've got good, balanced, ample fertility out there, and you'll be well on your way. All right. Thanks for the question. I got this from Diego in Argentina. He said, I was looking back at some of my notes. By the way, Brian, I also use Dropbox. And he said, I found some old work I did back when I was studying agronomy comparing the average soil analysis of fields where we plant versus the soil where the houses are around us. Just thought you might be interested to see this and note where the phosphorus levels were. Okay. So it says farm fields at Farm field average, 3.6% organic matter, non-farm, and he has right next to it pristine uh, average, 6.5% organic matter. Uh, soil pH was just a little bit lower with the non-farm at 6.55 versus 6.93 for pH for, for the farm. Uh, nitrates were a little bit higher for the farm. Uh, the phosphorus was way higher for the non-farm. So what does that tell you? That means that we're mining that phosphorus out of the soil, and we do find that in a lot of cases, especially with rented ground where you say, boy, I, don't, I hate to put a whole bunch of fertilizer out there when I might not get the benefit of that. It might be somebody down the road. I get it. And that's one of the things we've encouraged landlords to do as well is think about the long-term health of your soil and I know it's nice to extract every possible dollar you can as a business person, but I also know that your ground's worth a lot of money. So in some cases, you got to back the rent off a little bit to help the farmer afford fertilizer, especially in the tough years. Otherwise, this kind of thing happens where literally, like in this case, he says farming fields average 10 parts per million of phosphorus. Well, that's basically nothing. Okay. Uh, yeah, we, we appreciate seeing this, and it's something that we say often, too. If you want to find out, like, for your ground on your farm, what was it originally before somebody broke the prairie there, like in our case, uh, just go to the fence lines. A lot of fence lines have never been broken before. Pull a soil test there. Find out what you've got. Now try to repeat that out in the field. And also, you might think, well, we're for sure going to lower our organic matter. That is absolutely not true. We used to do a lot of stuff with Francis Childs year, years ago. He was the first guy that was raising 400 bushel corn in the United States like 25 years ago. And Francis, on his farm, over time, had actually built the soil organic matter to higher than it was in the fence lines. It can be done. And how you build soil organic matter is the same way you build new topsoil. We just talked about it a minute ago. It's plant crops with lots of roots. Reduce your tillage use manure cover crops, use some biologicals, uh, you know, those kind of steps, and you'll be in good shape. All right, Brian, we just got an email in here just a minute ago from Greg in Texas. He said, I was unable to get my 30 pounds of zinc sulfate dry put on before strip tilling. 
I'm thinking about 10% chelated zinc sure. now. My question is, is this the best zinc I could apply? And if so, what rate and how best to apply it through my center pivot, in for a starter? My soil pH is around 7.8 and my CEC in the mid-20s. Okay, here's the problem with zinc. It's just like phosphorus. It doesn't move well in soil. So is it possible to get down in soil if you put enough water on it? It's possible, but it just moves so slow. Personally, if you didn't get that zinc sulfate on with your strip till, if it was me, I would just put some zinc chelate on with the planter in a two by two. You could do it in furrow as well. Um, so e either way is fine. Just kind of depends on your rate. Um, I am slightly concerned for you though, because I know around here in our geography in South Dakota, it's hard to find zinc chelate right now. There has been a shortage all spring. So hopefully you've got some available in your area. And that is what I would do is put it on with the planter. Okay, uh, I get this one from V, who says, you talk about LD50, and that is one measure of toxicity. I'm wondering, uh, something can cause serious harm without killing you. Are there some other things we should be watching out for on the crop protection products that we use? Well, yes, you can look at the material safety data sheet. That's, or for short, that's MSDS. And you can go right online today and look up the label. You can also look up the MSDS for about any, well, definitely for any pesticide that there is that could ever be used. So you can look that up. You can also look up those same kinds of things for food products, for, I mean, soaps for cleaning agents. I mean, there's, there is a lot of that stuff out there. So they will list those things on the MSDS and just read it thoroughly. If you're concerned, read it for anything that you might be using and it will tell you how safe it is, what are the risks, the personal protective equipment you're supposed to use. And it might scare you a little bit if you start reading this about some of the household cleaners, because many of them are much more dangerous than a lot of the pesticides we use on the farm today. Okay, Brian, here's a soil test summary here. This one's from Robert, and he said, looking for some directions. We're in southeast Nebraska on dry land, corn, and soybeans. Uh, and I'm, here's my typical numbers, uh, 5.7 to 5.9 pH, around a 20 CEC. Uh, base saturation K is 3%, magnesium 20 to 25%, calcium 55 to 60%. He said, I... I'm wondering where we should best spend our money. We've typically been using maintenance levels of P and K and calcium and haven't run a lot of zinc. Uh, our tillage practices vary, but fertilizer is getting kind of expensive. All right. Here's the great news that I have for you. Yep. Fertilizer is expensive, but commodity prices are fantastic today. <laughs> I was looking at our own farm, and if we're, we're at $5 corn for fall. $5. Well, if I'm at $5 and I can raise 240 bushel corn, that's $1,200 an acre. So if I got to spend an extra 10 bucks on fertilizer, that doesn't bother me at all. If I have to spend an extra 50, I don't care. I'm doing it. So anyway, of all years, this is a year where I look at the fertilizer price. And I hate to even say this because I sure hope no fertilizer company is listening right now. <laughs> I'm not saying raise fertilizer prices. All right. I don't like high fertilizer prices. I want them, I want them low. <laughs> as a farmer. But anyway, when I see the variability, like zinc down to 0 0.3 that parts per million, that's hurting your yield today, I'll promise you. Phosphorus down to 10 parts per million, I promise you that's hurting your yield. Potassium at 3%, 
I promise you that's hurting your yield. So stick your money into P and K, a little bit of zinc. Sure, long term, I mean, you could do a little more calcium sulfate or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you could put a little lime calcium, on if you want to boost that pH just a little bit. Yes, and, and, and he was and worried a if he little used little bit of lime would be great. He's worried if he's using elemental sulfur at low rates, like twenty-five pounds, if that would hurt his nope. pH. Nope. Sure, nope. wouldn't expect that. You're going to no. use most of that up. Oh yeah. Thanks for the questions, Rob. I really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.